Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 61. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPanPuppets.com, it's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. Tell us how you really feel. Hi, everybody. Yeah, that's that's about right. Um, <laughs> it's tough out here, man. That yeah. was, you know, it's you know, intellectually we said you know, like, well, you know, Boston might have a slight edge in the series, and if you know, you'd put a gun to my head, I'd said, I probably expect Boston to win in seven games. I'm not enjoying the reality of it any the more because I thought that was you know pretty likely though. Yeah, it, it it sucks. It sucks to lose. It sucks to lose to Boston. It sucks to lose in the same manner as we lost before in a game seven. It sucks to lose when you feel like this team could have done so much more. Mm-hmm. It just sucks as a whole. And that's sport. Sports is pain and suffering. And we are stupid for being fans. And you, listener, are equally stupid. <laughs> we don't mean it, though. We love you all. Thanks for listening. But we can all agree that we've made a terrible mistake with our lives devoting so much time to this, which has only made us sad in the end. However, uh, we're still here, and we're still going to do this. So, I guess we should first address what exactly the hell happened in Game 7. Um, I don't think yeah. any of us want to, but, you know, it's kind of there and we ought to do it, so... We'll keep this quick. The least played a game. They lost. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Good discussion. Thanks, everybody, for the chat. Uh, I think maybe the most frustrating thing about it is that for 40 minutes, the Leafs really did not play that bad, except for a couple of really specific blunders that wound up in the back of their net. And that's kind of hockey for you. You can't say we played well, except for the mistakes, because the mistakes are part of the game. But it's really not that hard to envision a scenario where the Leafs are really competitive in this game and win it. Like, it's not like they were brutally outplayed the way that they have been at times when we've seen them, where it was non-competitive. They were in there with a chance, but uh, it was a couple of bad mistakes at the wrong time. Um, I think Travis Dermott a little bit eats the first goal, but primarily that's on Freddie. Like, you can't allow a goal to Joachim Nordstrom when he has a clear wrist shot, but like way down almost on the goal line. You know, Freddie thought he was sealed to the post and he wasn't and it trickled through and that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one, Jake Gardner is going to wear the goat horns on that one, which really breaks my heart. I was hoping this would be the redemption season for Jake. It's not working out that way. And I think he's probably done in Toronto. And that kind of sucks that this is the note he goes out on after all he's done. But, uh, you know, that's how it is. And then we were down to nothing and we were chasing the game the rest of the night. And we did a decent job chasing it for a while there, you know, got it back to 2-1. But the Sean Corrali wrister was not ideal. We had some tired defensemen on, but really, Freddie normally has that. And after that, it was a backbreaker and a couple empty netters. You know, I'm not saying Boston didn't deserve to win, um, but it was by no means a foregone conclusion that they were going to. It's just... It's hard to say too much beyond that's how it goes from a certain perspective. And we can get into why did it go like that? But I can't help thinking that a lot of this is just bounces, you know? And, yeah, and that's, that's not that's satisfying, hockey, but right. Yeah. Like it's that's hockey in general, right? It's a chaotic sport. The Bruins were I, I, unlike last year. I think these teams were much more even last year. I think the Bruins were comfortably the better team. Mm hmm. This year, I think 
at five on five, it was pretty similar with maybe a slight edge to the Leafs, and the Bruins really cleaned up on special teams. Yeah. And, I mean, that's the way it goes sometimes, right? Like, that's, that's nothing you can really do. Well, there's nothing we can do about, about it as fans in any case. But, yeah, it, it's obviously a crappy situation. And I think um, the tricky thing becomes how do you evaluate your team? How do you evaluate your season in the heat of the moment after a pretty gutting loss? Yeah, I mean, this hurts. This was a year where we had expectations and hopes. Uh, we had you know, uh, legitimate expectations for this season that it could be different. Uh, for a lot of reasons, it didn't work out that way. Uh, some of them are kind of the least doing. Some of them, you know, the playoff format did funnel us towards the Bruins. I don't really like blaming that especially, but it did mean that we were going to have a tough first-round matchup right away. At the same time, I mean, as we've seen this playoffs, tough first-round matchups don't necessarily mean a whole lot. Yeah, um... Who even knows what would have happened in another scenario? But, uh, yeah, you know, it hurts. I do kind of remember that uh, in 2013, you know, the Leafs had an infamously gutting first-round Game 7 loss to Boston. Um, that was probably worse on an emotional perspective than this one. Yeah. And the management really took it to heart, and they did a lot of things that were super questionable. Like, they had... I'm going to say one of the worst management summers that any front office has had non-Peter Chiarelli division. Like, they signed David Clarkson that year, so right there, woo! Um, and they did a lot of other questionable things. And, you know, that's what can happen when you think, okay, we were great except for those specific things that went wrong in that one game. And, you know, if you were doing that here, you would say, okay, the problem here is uh, Freddie Anderson. <laughs> you know, maybe... Or Mike Babcock, which a lot of people are saying. Um, so, you, you know, this kind of reactive decision-making, I totally get the impulse, and I'm not saying, you know, oh, it's hunky-dory, actually everything was fine. I'm just saying as hard as it is, it probably pays to get a little bit more perspective on it than that. You know, take a step back and think, okay, um, you know, what was really working or not working in the big picture here? And... There are some things to like here. You know, five on five, again, the Leafs were the better team. The Leafs were, I would say, good. At times, even impressive, five on five. Um, I don't think the penalty kill would get gutted that badly in a larger sample, but the fact remains it was really bad. Um, there's not really an easy way to, to say that. You know, it's just you can't yeah. you know, get scored on the, 47% of the time. The issues in game six, game six specifically weren't as glaring to me as the ones that came before it, right? Like the two goals they scored in game six were not huge breakdowns of, of our penalty kill structure. It was one was a shot that got deflected off Hainsey's shin pad. Mm -hmm. And what can you do about that? Um, one was a perfectly placed shot off a rebound by Krug. Like, you know, they do have one more guy than you, so they're going to get those. Yeah. You like, you're not going to kill a hundred percent of the penalties against you. You know, that's not an option. So yeah, the, the, the earlier in the series, I think, they were just demolishing us and just getting anything they wanted, really, in terms of the shot types. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, we should talk about the coaching now because I think that's what people are going to come away from this discussing. Yeah. Um, okay, so I have a piece coming out tomorrow um, about Mike Babcock, and I try to look at the two sides of it in terms of firing him or keeping him as the coach. 
I want to say off the top, I don't think that this is going to happen. Like, he's going to stay here. That's just, I think, the reality of the business and the fact that he has four years left on his contract at quite a lot of money. Um, I don't think that Kyle Dubas is going to pull that trigger. It would be an extremely bold move. It would be putting a lot of his personal credibility on the line quite early in his GM tenure, like one year in. And it's hard for me to see him doing that just for pragmatic reasons, as well as rational ones where you think the team is pretty good. Uh, he did pretty well. There are reasons for his limitations. But I think it's also fair to say he did some things that I consider probably to be mistakes. Um, his conduct with the power play the whole year was to pull the first power play unit off after about a minute to 70 seconds in if the puck got cleared out. Like he would just say, okay, it should be about half and half if you haven't scored. And I can't say I think that that's a very good decision. You've noted this earlier than I really started feeling some kind of way about it. You know, you were saying good teams with really good power play units um, just play them. You know, Pittsburgh's second power play unit basically doesn't exist. Yeah, we should give credit to uh, Ian Tullock as well. He, right. or, it was yeah. either, actually it might have been either him or Dom Lechishin. One of those two guys that wrote a piece at The Athletic that first kind of alerted me to this issue, and then I started looking at it and observing it with the Leafs specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you, you know, um, frankly, I think that that's a mistake. I'm not sure what the idea was there. I mean, the first power play unit went from quite effective at the beginning of the year to seemingly less so. They were still getting a lot of chances, but the puck wasn't going in as much. Uh, and I'm deferring a little bit to my own eye test here, but it did not look as effective as it could have been at that point. It looked like teams were more prepared for what Mitch Marner was going to do, and the power play ran through him. So, yeah, I think there certainly was a point where it was like, okay, this isn't going as well. At the same time, you have one unit that has John Tavares, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, Morgan Riley. Fifth guy varies, but it's Nazem Kadri normally. You know, I'm thinking, play that unit. Just let them do their best. And there were times, you know, last night, you would see them getting a lot of chances. You would see them being really effective. Um, and it just wasn't going in for them yet. And then you would watch them go off after 65 seconds, and you would think, I don't know that, you know, Andreas Janssen and Patrick Marlowe are the right play here. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the second unit, especially at this point in the series, mm-hmm. the second unit has William Nylander, the, you know, crippled back of Jake Gardner. Yeah. And three guys who are not that good. Yeah, it's like, you know, the fact remains that, that that's not a great power play unit. And... You know, it's one thing to play them when you want to get those guys some time, when you want to balance some things in the season. But this is, you know, the epitome of shut up, you know, put up or shut up time. And we were still doing this everybody gets some time thing, you know? And I just, I find that hard to understand what we were thinking there. I don't, you know, it's, it's one thing if you get, and I think that this is going to come up with... Uh, Another issue that we're going to talk about in a bit. But it's one thing if you think, okay, these guys really had it tonight and the other guys didn't or whatever. But I didn't see anyone on that second unit who I thought was really bringing it to any kind of pronounced degree, you know? Like, there was no one there that I thought, oh, man, we have to get this guy ice time. You know, like, man, if we don't play Patrick Marlowe now, (laughs) you know, we're really missing out. Um, 
it was hard to understand. I think it's going to bear an outsized emotional impact on evaluations of Babcock over the summer because people are going to remember things that they are emotional about. You know, that's kind of a fact of psychology. And game seven and getting your heart broken is an emotional time. So you're going to be thinking that was what did it. Uh, I don't know that it's like a big deal, but I think it's a problem. I think it's something that should be fixed. Yeah, so. I mean, it, it's it's very far from ideal usage. And look, I, I don't think, more generally, the another thing people were complaining about was, and with, with reason, is that, you know, why is Babcock not leaning on his guys more? It's mm-hmm. been stated now, Austin Matthews played less than 19 minutes last night in a game where the Leafs didn't play on the penalty kill. And I saw Justin Bourne's article about this, and he said, like, you know, I try not to read too much into single game time on ice because the flow of the game matters and things like that. Like, things, um, not just penalties and power plays and whatnot, but, you know, how the flow of the game structures around TV timeouts. Was there a particularly long shift that could have been there at a time where you would want to double shift a guy and that kind of made it unpalatable to do so? Um, and he said that, you know, finding minutes for the guys you want and increasing their minutes is like a sneakily difficult thing to do. And I believe him. He knows more about this than I do. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we're not putting a man on the moon here. Yeah. <laughs> like right? At a like, certain point, it's like, yeah. Play it, the look, guy if, who scores. If, if fucking Jared, Bed- Jared Bednar or whoever, whatever person coaches Colorado, <laughs> if they have a coach. <laughs> Maybe they and, don't. Maybe it's just the idea of the remains of Patrick right. Law. But like, if they, if that guy can figure out, okay, I'm going to play Nathan McKinnon 24 minutes a night. Mm-hmm. I think you could do the same, Mike. Like, I, 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 yes, this is more complicated than people are making it out to be. It is not complicated full stop. Yeah. So I'll say the following things in a partial defense of Mike Babcock. And I want to preface this by saying I basically agree. I still think you should play Austin Matthews more than that. But the two things I would note is that one, unlike almost every other center of his caliber except Evgeny Malkin, Austin Matthews is that good without being the best center on his own team. I still don't think that he's as good as John Tavares is yet. Um, He was having a hell of a hot series. He was doing great, don't get me wrong. But John Tavares, I think, is still the better all-around player and also produces at a really, really high rate. The other thing was that Austin Matthews was not having a good night. I think it's fair to say. He had an expected goals percentage at 5-on-5 five five of 24. He was on for a lot of goals against. He was not getting a lot of shots individually. He was not really doing a whole lot to impress. Now, you say, okay, but who cares? One, he's a guy who can change the game with one shot. And two, you have to go big picture here. And big picture is he's a superstar goal scorer. You can't get too swayed by the small sample. And I agree with that to an extent, but I get why Mike Babcock would be thinking, look, of my centers, you know, he doesn't quite have it as much tonight. And I don't know that I need to lean on him 100% of the way because I'm not sure that he's getting it done. He's getting scored on. I think that that's mitigating, to be honest. I still think in the end, you know, play the guy. But that's my best effort at trying to think, okay, what was it looking like to him on the bench? Because, you know, he's not a stupid man. Mm -hmm. I don't think that he's trying to handcuff himself. And I think he can count, um, you know, and notice that, gee, Austin Matthews scores a lot of goals most of the time. But that's my best guess as to what what he was thinking when he saw that game game unfolding. And he said, you know, I'm going to keep rotating. I will notice... um, Freddie Goche basically stopped playing 
after the third goal, he got two shifts. And one of them, the last of them, was the immediate aftermath of the power play. Only six games and two periods too late. (laughs) Sad but true. But uh, I do notice, you know, he took him out of the rotation, which is what, you know, I kind of wanted him to do. So, you know, on that point, I'm not, I don't think he like totally neglected it in terms of like play your best centers. But yeah, it's a little hard to understand. Did the game hinge on it? I don't know. Probably not. Probably not. But, you know, you do want to put yourself in the best position. So you can say, look, that was a mistake. It's low hanging fruit. That's the thing. Yeah. It's very low hanging fruit. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. I, I'm very conflicted about Babcock as a whole, because on the whole, I do think he's a good coach. And if you look at how the Leafs have played and how they played at five on five against Boston, it's generally encouraging. Mm-hmm. At the same time, there's a lot of micro decisions I don't agree with him on, but you know, there's a lot of micro decisions I won't agree with any coach on. And that without getting into the point that, you know, they probably know more than me when it comes to this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Unless they're obviously failing like randy carlisle yeah i tend to give coaches some sort of credit yeah so yeah like it, it's uh, like you i don't think it's going to happen now i don't think they're going to fire him now i think basically if the same thing happens next year then i think he's more than likely gone mm-hmm. but this would be a pretty bold move as you said even as rich as mlse is they probably don't like setting 26 million dollars on fire yeah um as forward thinking as Kyle Dubas may seem to be, I doubt he would want to basically start the clock on his own tenure by firing, using the GM card of firing the coach and hiring your own guy. Yeah, they call it the general manager's last bullet, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I don't know what to say about this in, in terms of like, I guess I'm just, I'm uncomfortable maybe with the extremity like there are a lot of people on twitter and you know i've said this before twitter's prone to this um and he said uh you know people are just saying like there is no way you can redeem this idiot we have to get rid of this guy or we're doomed you know like he's absolutely beyond saving in terms of his competence as a coach and i find myself thinking that seems a little much to me you know like people are convinced that they've isolated the problem and that's it when you start looking at it as more, okay, is this guy the best guy available? Can we get someone better? I'm open to arguments that that's possible. I'm probably a little conservative about like when I would pull the trigger on doing that. But I, I do think that people are a little blind to his virtues to some extent. Uh, I, I, you know, I thought the same thing happened with Lou Lamarillo. And I know I'm higher on him than you are. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Uh, to put it but you know, yeah, to, to put it um, very mildly. But, uh, you know, I do find myself thinking, okay, he had some limitations, a lot of them not of his own making. Uh, Nazem Kadri going, you know, red mist over the eyes was not something that he can really control. I'm sure he didn't tell Naz, hey, go out there and, you know, break DeBrusque's face um, and get yourself suspended for five games. And he did say after the series, you know, that really limited my options. Yeah, and it did. And, you know, I thought he adapted okay to that. You know, I didn't love Patrick Marlowe, but that line also scored his competition. And it's also, I mean, as much as I think Patrick Marlowe is kind of washed at this point, Mm -hmm. do you really trust Trevor Moore that much more over him? Like, is is Trevor Moore 80% better than Patrick Marlowe? No, maybe he's 10% better, 20% better. It's not 
you're not changing the complexion of the series by doing that. Yeah. The other thing was that in terms of playing the fourth line last night, I noticed, I was like, I think Tyler Ennis was the best forward on the ice. I know that sounds insane. That's probably overstated, but I kept, as I was recapping, I kept saying, oh, they're playing the fourth line a lot. And then Tyler Ennis would have like a brilliant shift. Mm -hmm. And I would be like, well, I get it. (laughs) You know, um, I guess maybe just having recapped and writing it line by line by line, I found myself thinking, um... I get the game flow aspect of it a little bit. Like, I, I guess I can see where he was coming from. In terms of these decisions that he makes, when I disagree with them, most of them are comprehensible to me still. You know? Um, yeah. So, I guess that's where I'm going. The other thing I want to note is that I really thought that uh, Ron Hainsey and Morgan Riley were going to be the matchup pair going into this series, and I was convinced that was a mistake, and I was afraid it was going to blow up on us. Instead, it was Muzzin and Zaitsev, which I did not foresee, although I should note Ian Tullock, who I guess we're shouting out all pod now. Um, he did note that that was a good idea before the playoff series, and it worked. Um, I'll say it worked about as well as I could have hoped. And so, you know, the fact that he avoided that error and made a pretty decent effort, despite not having the best resources in terms of right-shooting defensemen. I give him some credit for that. You know, I give him credit for the Leafs generally looking pretty prepared to start game one and a lot of other games. You know, the way that they played competently defensively for long stretches of the series. You know, I'm not saying they were perfect. I'm just saying I've seen progress out of this team. And I think if you are going to be balanced about Mike Babcock, you have to credit the progress as much as you do blame him for the flaws. So, yeah. I guess that's how I feel about it. Yeah. Um, it sucks. <laughs> None of this makes any of it feel better. You know, <laughs> we're talking yeah. to these feelings, but it's like, it fucking sucks to lose to Boston, man. Yeah. I hate no, this it's, shit. It's really, <laughs> it's really, really annoying. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's that. I, I, I don't have a ton to say on, a ton more to say on Babcock, really. Like it's, we, we we've talked about him all year. He does a lot of things relatively well the Leafs are a well-coached team in some regards they they are not as bad as some other detractors would have you believe mm-hmm. they're they're a good hockey team they're not an elite hockey team yeah. is Babcock the guy who can get us there I don't know I, I don't think there's an obvious answer to you know who is the guy that can right and mm-hmm. that's the thing you have to be really confident in when you're making a coaching change like how do you make sure the next guy's better Mm-hmm. so yeah I and, mean, who, who knows yeah and, and you know I, I think you know I thought about that angle of it too and so you know you say okay who is it that's going to be better and the argument is well I don't know but that's not a reason to put up with a guy who can't get us there but I'm not at the point where I'm totally convinced Babcock can't do it I will say if I were uh Jim Hiller and DJ Smith I might wonder a little bit about how secure my job was in terms of the assistant coaches, because I think that that is a much more possible move for Kyle Dubas to make. Soon. I feel like Hiller's job should be relatively more safe. Like he's come mm-hmm. off like four years of really good power plays. This one looks good by every metric except goals. Mm-hmm. I feel like I don't know. He'd be a bit. He'd have a right to feel aggrieved if he was canned for for this. DJ Smith, on the other hand, I mean. Like I, with the caveat that we don't really know what responsibilities each assistant coach has, mm-hmm. it, it it it's he has more of a plausible case for being worried, I guess, because the Leafs penalty kill was only really 
decent this year. Um, like in previous years, it was just kind of saved by goaltending whenever it was good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I do kind of find myself thinking, you know, <laughs> if you have an impulse that you really ought to do something, and if you're, I don't know, Kyle Dubas, and you'd like to get your guy into the coaching staff, if you're trying to hold on to Sheldon Keefe, um, a way to manage that might be to give him an assistant coaching job. Um, you are putting a bit of heat on Babcock by putting his likely successor right beside him. But it, it might be a kind of a way to balance um, between the extreme step of firing Babcock, which again, I don't think he's going to take, and still doing something to maybe put his own stamp on the staff. Would Keith want that, though? Like That's the question. And, you know, ultimately it comes down to what he does want. But if he's thinking, okay, I'm the next guy in line in Toronto, this is one way to assure him of that. And I'm also thinking this seems to be kind of what happened with the GM job with Dubas himself. You remember, like, uh, it does, Colorado but like, wanted I, to hire him I, away. I feel like if, with coaching in particular, and I, I guess maybe the fact that this worked for the GM job flies in the face of this to some extent, but, like, if you're coaching and, you know, one guy is thinking, I'm next in line, and the incumbent is, like, he's next in line too, or mm-hmm. he's thinking that, or the subtext is there, I find it hard to understand how they're going to have a productive working relationship. That's just, there's yeah. natural tension there. It's fair to think that, you know, it's absolutely true. And uh, I know now they did this explicitly, which I found kind of odd, but it, I think it was the, uh, was it the Blues of the Wild? But it was uh, Hitchcock and then they hired his replacement and said he'll take over in a year. It was Mike Yeo. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that, was, that was the Blues, I think? I don't know. <laughs> they're, they're... All these Midwesterns <laughs> sort of... Uh... I actually like the Blues too. Like they're yeah. they're a good team, so... They yeah. always, like, completely destroy us when we play, it feels. It feels like they always outshoot us, like, 55 to 4. Yeah, honestly, from just the job that I've done, like, recapping and noting stuff, if they were in our division, I would actually be more scared of the Blues than anyone. Bruins included. Just because I've seen them play more games where we looked totally outclassed than anyone else. I guess it's just something in their style and probably also a bit of a random chance, but, it, like... We had, we had one game, I remember, where they beat us like 6-1 or something. And the third period, I just took notes that were just like, you know, quotes from the wasteland and like sad poetry and stuff. Because I was so tired of watching us just get absolutely owned on the cycle for like 10 minutes at a time. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know. We'll see uh, if anything develops in that direction. The bottom line is I think Mike Babcock is going to be back. We'll see where it goes from there. We'll see what conversations they have, or at least we won't see them, but we may see their impacts. Um, I certainly think Kyle Dubas is going to be looking at how he can address problems in this roster. And, you know, if he has disagreements with Mike Babcock, he's going to air them. And when your boss tells you something, there's always a bit of a subtext of do this or you're fired. So, (laughs) you know, it carries some weight if he says, I want you to make these changes um, in the next season. So, yeah. I guess that's about the bottom line on Babcock. Um, unfortunately, you see, now is the time when I'm used to turning to the NHL draft. But we don't have our first round pick, which we gave up in the Jake Muzzin trade. And while I like that trade, it also means that it's a little harder to get excited for who might fall to like, oh, what's it going to be? 55. Oh, boy. So, you know, you never know. I mean, that's where we got 
That's almost where we got Sean Jersey, who I guess I was kind of excited about. And it's ahead of where we got Carl Grunstrom. So we might eventually get back to the point where we can make the Muzzin trade again. I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, um, in terms of the changes on on the player side this offseason, mm-hmm. again, I don't feel like we can do too much. Or certainly not in the realm of exciting things. I feel like Connor Brown should get a ticket to Edmonton because that's where he's going. Mm-hmm. I've never been more irrationally confident of anything than Connor Brown being traded to Edmonton or Vancouver. Doesn't he just seem <laughs> like the type of guy that those teams would love? He just, yeah, like it's just it's so on brand. And even not knowing, okay, well, even pretending to not know who the next GM in Edmonton is going to be, um, it just feels like their whole organizational culture is we got to put Connor Brown as our first line right wing for a while. He's had some chemistry with Connor McDavid. Now, I don't know if they'll go that far, but I could see them doing it. Like, couldn't you kind of imagine that they would be like, we're going to reunite the Erie Otters line in Edmonton? <laughs> Someone call Dane Fox. <laughs> This is perfect. Um, yeah, and so like, it's very hard for me to see how we can fit because we were playing him with a healthy lineup as our fourth line right winger. Like he just didn't do a whole lot to be worth his salary. His production was so poor that I don't know what his trade value is at this point. Um, I remember you said at the time we should really sell high on 20 goal man Connor Brown. And I think that was probably one of the most... Uh, clairvoyant things you've ever said because that would have been a really good idea but um oh well uh i still think we'll be able to trade him and we pretty much have to unload the salary like i yeah. don't see a way around that so in terms of other people who we may unload i think zaitsev becomes the obvious next guy that mm-hmm. it's like okay well if we can get rid of him uh it would help us out a lot uh we have to move him before the before july 1st because he is um i think a limited no trade clause that starts kicking in then yeah right so yeah we i maybe him getting traded at the draft is potentially likely mm-hmm. I, I you said you don't really have an idea of how to calibrate Connor brown's value i have zero idea what zaitsev's value is around the league i'd like to think it's improved in the last two weeks because he you would think had a decent enough playoff mm-hmm. i'm gonna say um you know, and some people are even thinking, gee, maybe we shouldn't trade him because he's at present maybe our best right shooting defenseman. I still I don't think I want that contract. No, me neither. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just I, I'm going to peace out on that. So if there's a taker, I'll probably. Yeah, that deal. I, I mean, I tend to think uh, maybe people disagree with me on this, but like I would trade Zaitsev for literally nothing. Yeah, like I, I don't think that he's a positive value asset at this point. Yeah. And, like, you know, if you're trading him, you're basically accepting, look, we probably have to replace him internally or with a bargain bin find. Or maybe I'm, you're trading Kappen and your Janssen, I guess, for him. Yeah, I, I don't think a bargain bin find is going to be that much worse than, than Zaitsev. I mean... Yeah. I mean, well, of, Zaitsev was a KHL free agent. Now, he was, like, a prestige KHL free agent. He was very successful in the KHL. But, you know, he didn't cost anything in terms of assets, and we signed him to an ELC to start with, so... Theoretically, it's sort of the same avenue by which we got him, I guess, is when we were Yeah, and I guess, I mean, we also have to replace Ron Hainsey, which sounds ridiculous, but we need to find someone who who Mike Babcock trusts to play those roles. And mm-hmm. essentially what this comes down to is he's either going to have to trust Travis Dermott or we're going to maybe sign Ron Hainsey again. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one thing I want to say, and uh, Katja's been noting this. 
the possibility of us resigning Ron Hainsey is higher than people think it is. Like that's not a non-zero chance there. If I'm you look at the happen, UFA but... market for free agents, it's not that good. No, it's like, okay, so Eric Carlson, maybe, if he's coming out of San Jose, obviously Jake Gardner, and, you know, I think we've talked about the possibility of signing Jake Gardner. It's just really tough to make the numbers work, and the back thing lingers over it, which makes you worried, but it's probably not enough that no one's going to sign him to a big deal, I think, so it's kind of like, I think we're squeezed there. And then after that, it gets really thin. It's like Tyler Myers? Like, someone's going to overpay the fuck out of Tyler Myers, I'll tell you that right now. Gigantic right-shooting defenseman? Goodbye. Um, so it's like, it's not an easy market to navigate. And, you know, if Ron Hainsey wants to come back on, you know, a year and a million or something like that, I mean, I'm not saying I'd love it, but I, one, could live with it, and two, I don't think that that's by any means out of the question. Mm, um, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I guess we're going to see. It is going to be, I think potentially a bit of a, a letdown off season because one, nothing is going to match. We signed John Tavares. Um, that's going to be like the pinnacle of free agency joy for us for quite some time. And we just don't have a lot of room to operate here. So it's mostly like we have to do our best with what we have. And then, you know, there aren't going to be a ton of additions to this roster next year. Like conceivably Jeremy Bracco, but I'm a little more skeptical on him than his points would maybe suggest, just from having talked to some Marley's people. And Rasmus Sandin, as good as he's been, I'm not sure that he's quite ready for the NHL yet. So, yeah. Um, it will kind of come down to uh, Janssen or Kapanen. You know, can we resign them at what cost? Do we want to trade them? Um, and, I, you know, I think Kyle Dubas has to be going through all those scenarios right now. Yeah. Um, I'll be interested to see what like the contract projection systems say is a reasonable amount for Kapanen or Janssen. I feel like it could be anywhere from the high twos to high threes. Like I, I haven't done the research and calibrated what I think they should mm -hmm. get yet, but you know every every dollar counts at this point. So we really want to keep them as low as possible. Kapanen might have cost himself money with his playoffs. He was really putrid. Yeah, and he was not great playing with Austin and Matthews for pretty much the whole time. Yeah, and like, I mean, the the Janssen-Matthews-Kapanen line during the regular season, it had good numbers. It had like a 55% Corsi. But then I, whenever I watched them, I was just never really convinced. Yeah, it never quite felt that great. And Kapanen's limitations, I feel like they were maybe thrown into a sharper relief. Like, we were really high on him at the start of the year when he looked like, you know, super hot. But... There are a lot of plays where he rushes in and he's kind of alone and his only move is shoot it or just kind of try to go wide right or, you know, get around on somebody. And it's like, is that it? You know, like that's a perfectly fine pair of things to have in your bag of tricks, but it kind of felt like that was it. And you can still be a perfectly good player doing that, but it was like, it starts to look a little limited and it starts to be a little bit less surprising when you see that he has two points in seven games, you know, mm -hmm. um, the playmaking obviously wasn't there. So. Yeah. He's such a straight line player. And like, he almost seems like a guy who will do the same thing independent of his teammates. And it's less of an issue if mm -hmm. your playmaking isn't very good when you have Nazem Kadri than it is when you have Austin Matthews as your line mate. 
Yeah, you want someone to facilitate that. And again, this is, you know, the Kadri thing was so frustrating because of that, because William Nylander wasn't there. Um, right, and, and he couldn't anymore. be. And, like, based on Babcock's pre-series comments, it seemed that he wanted to put Nylander with Matthews once we got to the home games, and he mm-hmm. could control their usage a bit more and protect against Nylander's perceived weakness defensively. I, I wouldn't say perceived weakness defensively, weakness defensively. Yeah. Um, at least in the sense that Nylander, I think, has good defensive numbers, but they're not because he's good defensively. It's because he's good at transitioning. Yeah, right? I think so that's it's like, fair to say. He's still not a guy you really want to use uh, in like hard matchup minutes, or at least in Babcock's eyes. Anyways, yeah, Kadri going insane basically <laughs> prevented that strategy, right? And That sucked! <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was I'm so awful. mad about that. <laughs> I mean, in well, PPP, we're anyway. kind of... We're, exchanging bitter thoughts and something that a lot of us agreed on was like i hope kadri feels like shit yeah like i'm sorry man but you just like i i know i said this at the time yeah and you know i tried to be like okay when you're still in it you can still think okay maybe we'll pull it off we'll get a background too and this will all be forgotten but the truth is you can make a pretty decent case he cost us that series now i'm not saying it's that straight line obviously all sorts of variables go into that but like the team was a lot worse in a really close series, and it really limited one of our key offensive weapons, and fuck. Yeah, like, and, like, ugh. Kadri is an amazing player. I like him a lot, both as a player and from everything we've seen of him as a person outside the rink, but he needs to stop doing that. He needs to stop the dirty shit. Yeah, because it is severely impacting his effectiveness. Now, that said, as much as, you know, people are saying they're really not happy with him, well... I'm not either, but I don't think that they're approaching the point where they're going to trade him just because... Trading him makes zero sense. He's coming he's off a down value. Year. Yeah. Um, you know, he's still on a good contract. And, you know, we've seen what it looks like when we don't have him. And unless we get some help, it's going to be William Nylander and a couple of random guys. Side note, you know? this is also why it'd be stupid to trade Nylander. Even if the front office was of the opinion that he's not worth his contract, which would be yeah. weird. Um He's coming off a year where his value is, like, literally as depressed as it's ever going to be. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, it, it'll probably go up automatically next season. Um, just if he gets to play with Matthews most of the time, which I think he probably will uh, for long stretches of it. I mean, I'm not 100% about that. But, yeah, from everything that you just know about, you know, the variation of value. And then, you know, maybe the cap going up, all that sort of stuff. There are all sorts of reasons to not do that. Um, even independent of he's actually pretty good, you know? So, yeah, I, I don't think that's happening. This is the thing that's so frustrating about these losses is also that just, like, we got so many comments from people who do not regularly come to our site who were just, like, barging in and being like, this is what happens when, all you know, William Greedlander goes AWOL in a, in a key game. It's like, really? Like, even just saying, like, he's he's had his flaws, he wasn't perfect, whatever... You go down the list of people you want to blame for Game 7. How many are there before William Nylander? Because I can think of quite a few. You know, any way you want to rank it. It's just uh, baffling to me. Anyway, I I apologize. I'm getting a little ranty this podcast, and I'm aware of that, but it's very tough to stop. Yeah, no, it's very, (laughs) very, very tough to stop. Um, It's it's stupid to be as invested in sports as we are, but we are. So, you know, there you go. Yeah. If we could have quit, we would have done so already. Yeah. You know, (laughs) probably during, you know, some of those awful years before. So, you know, 
if you want to big picture it a little bit, sometimes a pretty good thing to be is a team that just does pretty well every year and gets into the playoffs and maybe goes on a run. It's not, you know, the greatest thing. We want to be elite elite, obviously, but it does mean you're in with a chance every year. And there were a lot of years we were not in with no chance. So, yeah. Yeah. I Always look on the bright side. <laughs> I'm striving for that optimism right here, but it is an effort. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy to do at this point. Um, was there anything else you wanted to discuss? Um, I just wanted to note I do have that Mike Babcock piece coming out tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So if you want uh, a longer look at that, uh, give it a look. We'll uh, be doing our best to uh, get some more perspective and give you some stuff to think about over the off season. Um, so keep tuning in. We do really appreciate you all sticking with us, uh, through thick and thin, even when, you know, sometimes the leaves make you want to tear your hair out. So cheers. All right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I want to echo that, you know, we've, we've, this is our first year of doing podcasts weekly, uh, and the support we've gotten is, is really awesome, really gratifying to see and, um, makes it so that we're not just two weirdos who talk about hockey to each other a lot. <laughs> so uh, genuinely thank you to anyone who has listened this season we're going to have some stuff in the off season for you we may slow down the quantity of them we, we haven't decided yet but we'll keep you updated um and to keep you updated you can follow us on twitter at rv and at fullman and you can find all of our work at pensionmanpuppets.com uh, not just our work but the work of a lot of brilliant and smart and talented writers who cover not only the leafs but the marlies the toronto furies women's hockey in general um, Leafs prospects, everything under the sun that relates to our failed, horrible hockey team. <laughs> so with that in mind, uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening.